And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Yeah. All real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Green Book. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 159 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Time of recording, 11.13 a.m. on September 15th, 2019. Here today to talk about the second half of the Toronto International Film Festival, a couple of other news sprinkled throughout, a preview of NYFF, what else we're looking forward to, this award season as the fall film festivals continue to stroll on through. Here to help me this week, I have Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. Tom O'Brien. Hi, everybody. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And Casey Lee Clark. Hello. All right, all. So, last week we were talking about TIFF. Dan Baer chimed in a little bit, told us what was going on with things such as Knives Out. And what else did he see? Jojo Rabbit. Actually, no, I'm lying right now. That's actually what we're talking about this week. (laughs) I remember at the time of last week, we hadn't had a chance to talk about the debuts of those films just quite yet. And surprise, surprise, Jojo Rabbit is no longer a surefire contender that we thought, thanks to some very, very mixed reviews. Um, The question on everybody's mind now is, you know, after last year where films like Vice, Bohemian Rhapsody... Uh, And to a certain extent, Green Book, not really as much, but those first two most definitely. Mixed reviews now, if the film is positioned as an awards contender and it has a campaign behind it, can a movie still break through ultimately? And so with Jojo Rabbit, what are we looking at now? Remember The Old Man and the Gun last year, which was also a Searchlight release around the same time of year? Yes. I think you're looking at a very similar path. So no path. (laughs) Correct. That's my nice way of saying it. It definitely feels like a movie that is going to be divisive, and I think we all kind of expected that. My fear with this, though, is it really seemed like this was something that needed the critics to carry it through to the end, and with such a mixed reception to it, that does give me a lot of concern about how it's going to play in the award season going forward. I still think it could do some damage. I, I I think that there's a lot of respect for the actors and for Taika, but I I am not as confident about many nominations and how large of an impact it's going to have going forward that it's going to receive. You know, I think the uh, people who like it really like it, but the only branch of the Academy I could see going for might be the writers. Yeah, same. Yeah. Yeah, I have it in screenplay still. Yeah, I still have it in screenplay as well. I mean, I might continue to leave it in the text for things maybe such as costumes or production design, maybe. I mean, I want to see the movie before I, you know, really kind of settle in on that a little bit more. But I think I, I think things like picture, director, Scarlett Johansson, and the supporting actress, uh, these things are probably being wiped off the table for now, unless if the industry, when they start handing out the Guild Awards, 
for some reason, Jojo Rabbit just continues to keep popping up. Um, that's the only thing I think at this point that would change my mind. Which could happen. Like, I, I wouldn't necessarily rule that out because it is a movie that does play in some topics that we know can be kind of friendly to uh, the Academy and to the industry. So I, that could possibly happen, but it does just seem like the movie might be too divisive to go all the way with that. Yeah. And speaking of uh, opening up supporting actress, uh, this past week, we got a lot of buzz on Jennifer Lopez for supporting actress. And, you know, with Annette Benning, Laura Dern really kind of being at this point, the only real consensus too that we can all kind of agree upon for the most part there is now talk that jennifer lopez's performance in hustlers could be a contender there uh so that was a very interesting development one that we did not see coming and as the season continues to progress we will start to see contenders um drop off (laughs) the goldfish (laughs) (laughs) And we'll see others that are a bit of a question mark as well. For example, Harriet debuted at TIFF in the later part of the festival. And the reaction to that was, I think, for the most part, respectable, but definitely not enthusiastic. Yeah, I feel like the consensus was on Cynthia Revo and not necessarily the movie itself. How do we feel about her chances as an actress now, since the film may not be a overall contender across the board in other categories. I think she's still a contender for a nomination. I don't think it's a definitive lock like we thought at one point, but I think she's still in there for the fourth or fifth slot. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Cause I think like when that first trailer came out, we were like, this could be like the like lock of the season, whatever. And it doesn't seem like that'll be the case at all. Yeah. It'll, it'll depend on whether there are a few surprises in this category around the corner. But if Johansson is in, and Zellwinger's in, um, you know, it leaves Aquafina and uh, Saoirse Ronan and a few other people. Uh, I, it, it just, I just want to see how this shakes out. I think she's still in the top five, but um, there may be a, a last minute uh, contender around the corner. So I'm just curious because I, obviously our listeners love the best actress category. We all love the best actress category. I'm curious to know, uh, because I know we're updating our predictions a little bit more frequently now as these uh, changes happen throughout the uh, festival run here. So who does everyone have winning as of today? I have Saoirse right now. You have Saoirse Ronan? I do, yeah, mainly because of like, just based on, I know she'll play the game. She's so well-liked. It'll be her fourth nomination. I have Little Women doing very well in nominations. It kind of just makes sense at the moment. I'm not confident on it in any way, but I'm just just because I'm not fully confident in predicting Marriage Story for winning three acting awards at the moment. That seems a little much right now. So I'm just, you know, that's me being tentative. Yeah, I, I took a look at my predictions the other day and I realized too, I was like, oh my God, I have Laura Dern, Adam Driver, Scarlett Johansson, and the screenplay all winning. And I just was like... That feels mm-hmm. like too much in this yeah. day and age. And I was like, I need yeah. to make decisions somewhere. So I, I got to admit, though, I, I left Scarlett Johansson in for the time being. Oh, yeah. I, I, think, I think she's in for a nomination. But I think she has the of the people you listed in terms of winning. I think she has the hardest road to get there compared to Driver or Dern. Yeah. Uh, it's it's she's got a few, you know, she's got an issue. And um 
Zellweger is currently hold, you know, holding the hot hand. And uh, it's that's just the kind of part that seems to win Oscars on occasion. Sure. Yeah. And that's where I'm going with it. I have uh, Renee Zellweger in my top place right now. I don't feel 100 percent confident going forward because it's still early. The movie opens in two weeks. But, you know, I think if her performance is as remarkable as everyone seems to suggest, it could do what Glenn Close and the wife didn't do last year, being the only nomination from that movie. And I think it's just juicy part. People seem to love her in it, and it would be really great to see her win another Oscar this time in lead. Yeah, I would be very tempted to pick Renee Zellweger, but for that fact that I don't really see Judy landing in any other places, that is the thing that gives me pause and really going for her. So it might be like only one or two people that will be in Best Picture nominees in that category, and I think that that just gives you an advantage over your uh, competition in in these acting races. So yeah, marriage story winning three out of the four acting awards does seem a bit much, which is why, I mean, we're not talking about best actor right now, but I think that there's room in that category that I think people aren't talking about. But in terms of just best actress, I really do think that Scarlett Johansson being in a best picture nominee, being somebody who hasn't been nominated before, has had this very long career and is in this conversation so much that does seem like a really good recipe for her to win. It, it's still early, but I do think that she's still in a really good spot right now. I agree. Um, in terms of the best actor category right now, I <laughs> one of the things I was heavily considering changing is I was really, really heavily, uh, heavily thinking Joaquin. I am still not sold on that. Even in negative reviews for that film highlight that he is phenomenal. Wait, as a win or a nominee? I'm playing with the idea of a win right now. I have him in my five. I don't see the Academy, you know, coming together to give him a win for that. Yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely with you on that. I, I mean, I like how many it. times is the Joker going to win an Academy Award? I nomination's one thing. We see, you know, Queen Elizabeth there all the time. <laughs> so yeah. what would be so I guess the safe choice, um, and also kind of the wish fulfillment oh isn't this just nice if this were to happen sort of thing right now is jonathan price for the two popes which is my long career never been nominated very very likable uh role for him and he is phenomenal in the movie Mm -hmm. so that could be you know for some reason if driver doesn't pan out because i i actually think driver's got a tremendous amount of momentum right now and the release of star wars is going to help between two of them, I think it's going to be Driver and Price, you know, fighting it out until the very end. Sure. Right now, I have Price in the top spot just because I think that movie is ready to explode in the way something like The King's Speech did out of these festivals nearly a decade ago. And I think honoring Jonathan Price with the first nomination, seeing him play the game with Netflix and just, you know, the love for him and his career, I think that might be able to push him across the finish line. But of course, Adam Driver apparently has a great part in Marriage Story, is loved, first nomination last year. You know, it's going to be a real fight between Netflix leads until the end, I think. And then there's Robert De Niro, who we don't know what's going on there, but maybe, just maybe, it's a Jack Nicholson and as good as it gets thing where it's like, (laughs) you thought we were done rewarding this guy decades ago. Well, guess what? (laughs) You know? He's back. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And what's funny about that is when Jack won for As Good As It Gets, which was his third and final Oscar, unless he comes back and does a fourth, but, you know, let's assume that's his final Oscar. uh, 
you know, it seems so far removed from terms of endearment and raging bull, but it wasn't even 20 years after, which is, I'm a raging bull. That's, uh, yeah, that's Bobby D. Uh, yeah. From Cuckoo's Nest and, uh, terms, terms of, of endearment. endearment. Yeah. Terms of endearment was about 15 years prior to as good as it gets, but it feels like a lifetime. Mm hmm. Right. Whereas De Niro, his last Oscar was Raging Bull, which was nearly 40 years ago. It, it really was a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, there's definitely a lot of uh, fluidity there right now. Um, I'm actually really, really excited that uh, pieces seem to be moving. And, you know, it's interesting because I, as I look at different predictions, there's no consensus. And you, you see some outlier picks here and there that make you question and figure, you know, got to remember something else, too, is that. Just because a, a large portion of the contenders are showing right now at TIFF doesn't mean that's all of the contenders. Uh, right. There is still stuff to come post-TIFF. Um, you know, who knows if Queen and Slim becomes a thing and Daniel Kaluuya uh, comes back into the conversation. Uh, there's also a lot going on also in the supporting categories, as we were kind of alluding to before as well. I mean, supporting actor right now, I was looking at this the other day and I was like, oh my God, there, there are more than 10 contenders right now that feasibly could get nominated in Best Supporting Actor. And it's it's tripping me up. I, I, I don't really know which way to go in terms of a top five right now. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I've been having a hard time with that. Yeah, things have been going in and out and in and out. And it's, it's for me, the busiest category. I just think that's a category where whenever I go to update it, I feel like the person that I had in number one could be then out of my five. I, it just has a lot of <laughs> yes, to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really insane. Uh, so another thing I also want to touch upon when it comes to TIFF, two more films that we didn't get a chance to talk about last week. Uh, the world premiere of Ryan Johnson's newest film, Knives Out. Uh, we got the reactions to that. They were through the roof enthusiastic. I mean, people were saying it was the most fun movie at the festival. The audience just ate it up, loved it. And it made me say, okay, you know, I, I could see a world, especially because I definitely think there is some industry sympathy for Ryan Johnson in regards to what he endured with The Last Jedi reaction from fans. I could very easily see Knives Out sliding into the screenplay category as a uh, reward for Johnson. Not a win right now. I still have Marriage Story predicted for the win, but um, this was something that I was like, okay, the reactions are strong enough. I could see this happening. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know how much they respond to who done it. You know, I think it's a great crowd pleaser. You know, people will go out and see it over the holiday. I still don't think it's going to make buckets of money like some people at the festival are predicting. But mm -hmm. I agree uh, with that. That is my kind of issue with it. I think this is one of those movies that it needs to make money in order to really get into the conversation. And I just have my doubts. I hope it does. I hope it does make money because it looks good and the word is very positive that movie is going to perform. And I'm a little bit more skeptical on it than a lot of other people seem to be. I did learn this last week that Daniel Craig sings a rendition of Stephen Sondheim I'm losing my mind. From, so that's only, you know, heightened my expectations. <laughs> I don't know that that's going to bring in the rest of the audience or the writer's branch. But hey, well, stranger things have happened. In terms of uh, the other anything else with the acting categories, um, just oh, wait, wait, before I kind of sum everything up, I want to just also touch upon this, too. Uh, Lucy 
in the sky is, as far as we're concerned, still in the sky, floating around aimlessly with nowhere to go. Because I've never heard of that movie, Matt. <laughs> my God, were those reactions brutal for that movie at TIFF? Oh, man. And, and I'm starting to learn something now, I think. I think if your movie is debuting uh, in the second half of uh, Toronto, it's probably not a good sign. <laughs> hey, Green Book premiered on like the second to last day. Was it really that late? It was at the very end. Well, maybe it was a Peter Farley, hey, we don't really know how this is going to play things sort of. I, I, I don't think they knew what they had, maybe. Uh, it's possible. So, I mean, it was a surprise. Don't You know, Green Book was... Remember, like, who who of us here had Green Book as a Best Picture nominee prediction before its debut at TIFF? No one. I don't think people <laughs> knew that that movie existed before that moment. Right. Yeah. Right. And when it won the when it won the Audience Award, I thought, well, that streak is now broken. Shows <laughs> <laughs> you what I know. Oh man. And who knows? Uh, we're getting the announcement today. Uh, unfortunately, it'll be uh, after we're done recording here at 1.30 p.m., so effectively two hours from right this second as we're talking. Uh, I figure we'll go around here. Casey, I'll start with you. Uh, what is your current prediction for the Audience Award at TIFF this year? Keep in mind, every film since uh, 2011 has been either a Best Picture nominee or winner with the TIFF Audience Award. I'm at the moment saying Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, but I'm not ruling out Parasite. So that's where I'm at. I'm actually, thought, thought word for word, exactly right there with you. Beautiful Day, <laughs> but man, oh man, it could very well be Parasite because I I have yet to find a single person that has a single flaw to name with that movie. Michael? It could be either of those two. I'm going to go with the choice a little out of left field and say The Two Popes. Okay. Okay. Good choice. I, I, di- I definitely think two popes will place in the top three, probably. And I expect to see it's um, because it's a that is definitely a crowd pleasing movie that effectively works because you do go in with these expectations of uh, two old men talking about conservative issues of faith, blah, blah, blah. It's going to it sounds boring and it's totally not. So I think that really, really has a great impact on the audience when they watch it as well. Tom. If it's Parasite, it's going to be fascinating because I can't remember a foreign language film winning this award in recent memory. Well, wasn't it um, the one in 2011? I can't remember the name of it. Oh, uh, the one that didn't do anything. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think think it was. Uh, Does anyone uh, definitively know that? Yeah, it it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I can't remember the name of it. All righty. And then Josh? Uh, I'm going to agree with Michael that my prediction is also the two popes. I think that that movie... In addition to just being the general crowd pleaser that I've heard that it is, I think that there is a surprise factor to that movie. Like you said, Matt, that people went in maybe expecting to like it, but expecting to get one thing. And it turned out to be something much more engaging and entertaining and for what I hear funny than we thought it was. And I think that surprise factor might work very heavily in its favor. So that is my prediction that it's going to be the two popes. All right. Lock in those predictions. Uh, We will know a little bit later today and watch it now be Joker just to fuck with us. (laughs) (laughs) Golden Lion, TIFF Audience Award winner. (laughs) Are you getting a hint here, people? (laughs) (laughs) God, I I can't even imagine the meltdown if it wins Toronto later today. I I, I don't know what I'll do with myself. I hope it does. <laughs> I kind of do too, just because I want to see the the fallout. Um, yeah. And also too, I want to see you know it challenge 
other predictors like, like, oh my God, we really do have to take this seriously. Holy crap, like Golden Lion wasn't a fluke. You know what I mean? And it'll be interesting to see how both the blogosphere, film Twitter, the trades, literally, it'll be very interesting to see how everyone just reacts um, if it does take place. I mean, I'm not predicting it to take place because it seems like the reaction out of TIFF was definitely more uh, divisive than it was out of uh, Venice initially, so... But the raves were like full on rave. Yeah, yeah. It's even more Venice and a big prize there. The raves that came out of Toronto were just exceptional. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so just to kind of close things out here, uh, just in regards to, because we kind of tie the acting categories, I guess, to Tiff here. Um, is there anything else that anybody else wants to mention in regards to the acting categories before we move on? Uh, I think the only thing that I would say is, as always, Best Picture nominees, I think, will always have a leg up in these categories. So as much as there are contenders out there that I think could do really well if they're not in a Best Picture nominee or they're the only nomination, as we learned last year that some people needed to learn, um, I, I do think that that is something to take into account. Yeah. And I'll add that there once was a film called Just Mercy, an emphasis <laughs> on the was. And if it competes anywhere, it's in the acting category. That's all I'll say. Just Mercy could still do damage. I wouldn't rule it out completely. I would I would definitely say that the reaction is not what we expected. Um, but that's a kind of film that could work on more traditional voters of the Academy. And it could just be that nice sweet spot, you know? That does seem like a movie that could, you know, have a kind of muted response from the critics. But the industry really likes it and it could show up, you know, even if it's just like picture supporting actor and screenplay, that that's still a good haul for that type of movie. Exactly. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's a pretty solid 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. So it's not a dud. Yeah. Hey, everyone. I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. Okay, uh, let's move on to our first trailer uh for this week uh we're going to be talking about a movie that also premiered at tiff uh called radioactive which is starring rosman pike as marie curry based on a true story uh there's a review for it up on the website that dan bear wrote uh let's take a look at this one and let's see what we think i have been haunted my entire life looking for beauty in the new science is changing And the very people who are running science are the people who believe the world is flat. I'm going to prove them wrong. I have discovered a new element. You changed the world. I must ask you please to leave my laboratory. If my science doesn't speak for itself, then you have gravely misunderstood it. You threw us down in the water. The ripples you can't control. I want to believe the world is full of light, not darkness. 
So just for confirmation, this is gonna be an Amazon Studios release in 2020. So Rosamund Pike is not in the best actress conversation uh, for this film. We don't have an exact date yet though for when this will be released. But I will say this, the first thing that really stood out to me uh, with this uh, teaser trailer was the cinematography by Anthony Dodd Mantle and the color use in it. I, I yeah, think it looks extraordinary. Yeah, there's some really interesting imagery where, like, especially because it's a teaser and they're kind of just showing clips and shots and things where I went, what's happening there? Like, I got, you know, it piqued my interest rather than that more than I expected it to. Yeah, the look of it did kind of catch me off guard a little bit because the what I had been hearing from it was like that it was just a traditional kind of biopic with this really great performance in the center. And it might very well be, but the imagery didn't really have that kind of idea come across to me. So that really did intrigue me to want to check this out, actually. Has anyone ever seen um, uh, Marjane uh, Satrapi's uh, previous two films, Persepolis and uh, The Voices? I've seen I've Persepolis. Seen Persepolis. Yeah. I've seen both of those, yeah. Yeah, I, I actually haven't seen The Voices, but I heard that it's actually decent. Do you recall, uh, Josh, if that's a good one to uh, uh, catch up on? or? Uh, I remember liking it. I haven't seen it since it came out, so it's been a while. But I remember enjoying it. Uh, it's got a really interesting performance from Ryan Reynolds in it. So it, it's interesting. It's not as good as Persepolis, but it, it's still an interesting movie to see. Yeah. You know, and everything too, uh, in regards to this is I, I'm just always constantly wondering um, if Rosamund Pike's uh, nomination for Gone Girl uh, will forever be a one off or um, if we think that she's going to return to the dance at some point, because she seems to always be taking on the right kinds of roles, but they don't ever really seem to uh, pan out. You know, a United Kingdom, Hostiles, a private war, uh, now something like this. And it, whether it's distributors or just muted reactions to the film is it's itself, um, it seems like she's just not getting a fair shake, you know, because I think she's still wickedly talented. Yeah, it, it just seems to be like kind of bad luck because all of those movies that you mentioned have performances that seem like they would uh, edge their way into the conversation more than they ended up doing so. And I think it just might be a case that the years that she's got them it just never really favors her. So currently right now, Radioactive is sitting on Rotten Tomatoes with a 64% from the initial reviews out of TIFF. Uh, Dan Baer, if, I, yeah, if my memory serves me correctly, gave it a 6 out of 10 on the MVP scale. And so I think that this just screams spring release, something to watch, go for Rosamund Pike. This will play in April for about two minutes and then go mm -hmm. to Amazon Prime and... Yeah. We'll never talk about it again. To be clear, 103 minutes. Um, you know, that's how long the movie is. But <laughs> yeah, it, this just feels like a one weekend thing that plays in like a limited release, doesn't get a wide release. And it's like, yeah, exactly. Uh, who knows? It's, it's the middle of spring. Might be a podcast review from us. You know, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> so also too, um, Anya Taylor-Joy is in this apparently. And I, I, I'm just finding it really, really nice to see Young and Taylor Joy uh, doing something other than a genre film. You know, even though this is obviously period, um, you know, she's obviously been doing things like The Witch, Morgan, Split, and Thoroughbreds also had like a dark element to it as well. So uh, she's kind of become like a new scream queen, if you will. And uh, I'm very, very interested to see her just expand because I think she's actually one of the more exciting young actresses that we have working right now. Even though this, you know, she, she's obviously not a highlight in this. This is really more centered around Rosman. So, 
All right, moving on now to another actress, uh, Jennifer Lopez. We talked about her earlier. Uh, we asked everyone in the polls last week which is their favorite Jennifer Lopez performance. The votes are now in for last week's poll. And I want to just go around one more time. I want to hear from you before I read off the results here. Michael, favorite Jennifer Lopez performance? By default, out of sight. Okay. Josh Parham? I am also going to say out of sight. I think that is kind of like the quintessential great movie star Jennifer Lopez performance. Casey Lee Clark. Yeah, same. I feel like that's the consensus. Tom O'Brien. I'm on board with out of sight, uh, but I think it's a legitimately good performance. I, too, am saying out of sight, uh, but that's not to discredit uh, I, what she does in Hustlers, uh, which I think is also supremely strong work from her. So I agree. I know there's people that want to say it's her best, but I don't know objectively if I can say that necessarily. I kind of have to sit with it a little bit more in order to come to that conclusion. I mean, if Will Mavity was here, he'd be like, she cries, she yells, <laughs> she does all the, she t- t- checks off all the boxes for an Oscar nomination. <laughs> all righty. Top five results. In fifth place. Oh, wow. Wait a minute. One, two, three. That's a three-way tie. Holy shit. All right. One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay. Woof. Damn. Mm. Here we go. All right. So. In fifth place, (laughs) in fifth place, (laughs) we talked about this last week, is Anaconda, everyone. (laughs) Oh, Oh, my my day is made. (laughs) Thank you, listeners. That is phenomenal. Uh, In fourth place, a three-way tie for fourth place, uh, we have The Wedding Planner, Enough. And Hustlers. Okay. In third place, we have Vassell. Which, that's a very, very visually awesome movie. I don't know if any of you have not seen it, but that movie is pretty, pretty wild to check out. Awesome for you. (laughs) And number one, number two, it was close. A difference of four votes. Uh, Number two, Selena. Number one, out of sight. Yeah. So there was no write-in for my favorite Anne Bancroft, Woody Allen vehicle, Ants? Nope, but there were two write-ins for Geely. Hey. So <laughs> people, even one of them literally says, where is Geely? <laughs> <laughs> As the write-in, that's phenomenal. Oh, man. Uh, movies that did not get any votes. Uh, Blood and Wine, Jersey Girl, Parker, and Second Act. And... Happy to see Jennifer Lopez at least having a moment right now uh, as she's, what, 50 years old? Is she 50? Yeah. After yep. watching Hustlers, can you believe it? Jesus. Wow. <laughs> exactly. You see those muscles? Oh, God. Holy damn. <laughs> oh, crazy. I mean, I was having a moment. <laughs> and speaking of the 50 crowd, uh, we have another performer here at age 55, still looking as good as ever. We got Brad Pitt. We are asking everyone this week, which is their favorite Brad Pitt performance. And my, oh my, when I was going through this list here, I like kind of came to this realization of, you know, out of like the the Ocean's Eleven group, especially, you know, Clooney, Damon and uh, him. I, I got to say, I think Pitt is probably the best actor um, out of all of them, like the movie star actors, you know. And 
there's just such a variety of work here that is really, I mean, there's considerable amount of range when you when you look at it. Yeah, I mean, Brad Pitt is always to me one of those actors that really is like a, he's a movie star, but he has like a character actor mentality to him. Like he wants to take roles that aren't just going to be showing up and just look pretty. Like I really do admire that about him. I admire that like a lot of movie stars are nowadays. It seems like. <sighs> Not so much resting on just that movie stardom, but they're really like, I don't know, doing something very specific like Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise thing is that he'll kill himself on screen for our, for our entertainment, you know, even as uh, the oh, laws, yeah. even as the laws of physics and everything else tell him, Tom, you're 55. You're, you can't be doing this. And he's like, watch me. <laughs> um, and then there's like Leonardo DiCaprio, who is a movie star. But I mean, objectively, he's like one of the best actors on the planet and can really transform himself. And, you know, I've never seen a movie, I think, with Leonardo DiCaprio where Leonardo DiCaprio is playing Leonardo DiCaprio, if that makes sense. Where I can't really say the same thing about guys like George Clooney or Matt Damon, for example, who are charismatic as hell. But I always just feel like they're playing a version of themselves a lot of the times in many movies. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Really treading on their movie star quality. Right. And Brad Pitt, uh, I just saw Ad Astra uh, this past week. And I mean, I, I think it might be top three, two. Hell, maybe even I, I think it's one of his best performances I've ever seen him give in this movie. And I, I can't wait for you all to see it because I definitely think the emotional vulnerability that he shows while walking this fine line between also trying to display uh, calm and strength is really subtle and really, really emotionally affecting. I, I mean, it, it, it really blew me away how good he was in this. So it sucks because he's not in the best actor conversation like at all for this. And it's really going to transfer, I think, more over to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But you never know, right? Critics definitely seem to really, really love it, and uh, they might try to propel him forward in, in this category. But, I mean, I doubt it at this point. I'm eager to see it. Yeah, same. So, with all of that in mind, looking at Sir Pitt's filmography here, do we have a favorite performance? Uh, there's just so many. Uh, Michael, I'll start off with you. This is an easy, easy answer for me. I know in the poll that you posted on the site, you gave everyone... Uh, top five that they could choose. And he's so great in stuff like Benjamin Button and Moneyball, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, of course. But my favorite Brad Pitt performance comes from one of my all-time favorite movies, and that is Ethan and Joel Cohen's Burn After Reading. I knew you were going to say that. Man, he is... <laughs> I, I think in terms of, like, his comedy, I, I don't know if he's ever been funnier in a movie than he was in that. I, I That might be by far the funniest performance he's ever given, I think. We talk a lot about the theatrical experience and how you lose something watching something at home and i'm a big believer in watching things at home on netflix and still having a great time but seeing burn after reading opening night 11 years ago with an audience had no idea what to expect and the way that they reacted to every single move brad pitt made in that movie it was just something else i still remember it like it was yesterday osborne cox <laughs> yes <laughs> He like squints his eyes at <laughs> that whole movie. He is like the big takeaway, of course, next to John Malkovich. Appearances can be deceiving. <laughs> <laughs> What's the other line? Yeah, yeah, you think that's a Schwinn? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god. 
I, uh, now, you got me in this mode now where I just want to quote like the Brad Pitt lines in that movie. <laughs> it's like a group uh, party of that movie. That is oh my one God. Of great movies of the last 20 years. Uh, okay. Josh Parm, what about you? Uh, well, there are just so many great performances on this list. It is kind of hard to just pick one. But I do think that if I am forced to just choose a single performance from him, I think I might actually say Moneyball. Because to me, Moneyball is like this really great combination of like movie star Brad Pitt and character actor Brad Pitt. And there's a lot that he does by showing you very little. And I think to me, that is the performance from him that showcases how much how good he is as like an internal actor. And he's able to carry this movie by not doing a tremendous amount that is like big and showy, but is so reserved and so steady. And I think to me that is the role that shows all his great skills as an actor. So there's a lot of great ones to pick, but I do think Moneyball is the one that I like the most. All right. All right. Casey? Dramatic performances there. Uh, my mom felt the need to text me that her favorite was Moneyball, so because you were all clamoring for that answer. Um, <laughs> but I'm actually going with Michael and saying Burn After Reading because I think that, especially of his com- comedic performances, he's just going there. And like, there's this full commitment there that I think like, I have to respect, and also I just think he's so funny in it. But I like I can't not go with that in my head. All right, all right, Tom. I'm I'm torn between big Brad Pitt performances. I'm thinking of Inglorious Bastards or something like that. Um, but I'm going to go for a serious one, and uh, I'm going to select the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Love awesome it. choice. He's so he is so reserved and still, and you want to know more about this guy. But they can also explode when necessary, too, and it's so, so chilling. Oh, love that movie, and I love him in it, too. Roger Deakins gave an interview recently where he, like, practically begged Criterion to release the film uh, with Andrew Dominic's uh, preferred over three-hour cut of the movie. And I'm going to just say for the record, if anyone on the off chance is listening from Criterion, yes, please fucking do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. One of my all-time favorite movies. Is it really? Oh, I love that movie so much. It might, it it probably is my favorite film of that decade. And yeah, it is one of my all-time favorite movies. I love it to death. I would go so far as to say it's one of the most underrated films of that decade for sure because that yes. movie did not get a fair shake from people. No. I still haven't seen it. Uh, it's, it, it, well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's your type of movie, Michael, to be honest. It, it just for me that I remember watching that movie in the theaters and like being one of like five people in the theaters, but just being so in love with everything that movie was doing from a stylish point of view, from the storytelling. I I think it's a masterful film that I just absolutely think is fantastic. Um, all right. And I will say and call it nostalgia or whatever, but I, I, I'll, I'll be lame and I'll say Fight Club because that to me is like the definition of cool charismatic movie star brad pitt uh but it's also a wild performance it has comedic elements to it um he's forceful i mean he's playful with it it's just it's just so all over the place that it's endlessly uh entertaining and although the movie over time obviously you know and even at the time of its release has like a lot of questionable content in it um, I think that what he does there, uh, like like you were saying, Josh, just from a character actor perspective, uh, perfectly fits in with what Fincher wanted to tell with the tone of that story. And who else, you know, 
could you cast in that role other than him, honestly, when you watch it? I mean, there's other movie stars probably, but I, I, I just think that he carries that movie so, so well. And it is also a favorite performance, not objectively. What is the best performance? You know, sort of thing. So mm-hmm. there's yeah. that. I mean, there's very few wrong answers to this question. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. True. And like an idiot, I kind of just realized I left Inglorious Bastards off the list. <laughs> Maybe because I wanted uh, to see if how many votes would go to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But, you know, I don't know. No, I, 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 I did. I, I knew I was leaving something off and it looks like I left Inglorious Bastards off. Uh, so it's a write in option. Whatever. It's all, it's all good. <laughs> I don't miss it. Really? You don't like him in that? No, I don't like him in that movie. <laughs> Gorlami. See, <laughs> <Si>, correcto. <laughs> Got a couple uh, of zingers. I know everybody loves him. He's my least favorite performance in that movie, but we don't need to talk about that right now. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Uh, my real question to you is, how do you feel about Roland Emmerich? Um, he exists. You know what? I oddly want to root for Roland Emmerich, but he constantly gives me the opportunity to not root for him so well he has another opportunity being presented on november 8th this year uh we got a trailer for the movie midway uh or aka uh pearl harbor 2 i mean maybe (laughs) (laughs) spiritual sequel perhaps uh the trailer was released uh this week let's take a look at this one uh let's give some thoughts who's this kid he didn't think he could cut it I figured it was just the usual jitters. I take him under my wing. He was wanting to be scared. Pearl Harbor is the greatest intelligence failure in American history. This can never happen again. I want to make it right. At least some of the boys still want to fight. The Japanese are planning something bigger. So what's the target? We believe it's Midway. Washington disagrees. Washington is wrong. If we lose, then Japanese on the West Coast. Seattle, San Francisco, Los Angeles. Burn. We got the order to launch. We need to throw a punch so they know what it feels like to be hit. We're talking about a couple dozen planes. It's all Japanese fleet. This isn't a fair fight. I don't know how to lead these men. know that you came through when people are counting on you. You'll be able to face anything. So, looking at the cast here, let's see. Ed Screen, Patrick Wilson, Luke Evans, Aaron Eckhart. It's like the lack of char- the lack of charisma here is staggering. Uh, 
Mandy Moore is in this. Okay, so it's not an all-male cast. All Darren right. yeah. Chris, Woody Harrelson, Dennis Quaid. Nick Jonas with a mustache. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. What is Woody Harrelson doing here? I don't even remember seeing him in the trailer. He's got, like, white hair. Yeah. And I remember going, wait, is that Woody <laughs> Like, they show him very briefly, and I was like, wait a minute. <sighs> okay. Yeah. I have a love-hate, more so-hate relationship with Roland Emmerich. This is a guy who had a huge hit in the 90s with Independence Day, and I feel like his career has been able to successfully keep going on the laurels of that film's success. Now, granted, he's had a couple of movies that have made money at the box office. I mean, 2012 was a big hit. The Day After Tomorrow was okay. Um, and you know what? I actually I call it overly sentimental and cheesy and dramatic, whatever you want, but I genuinely love The Patriot. Yeah, I think that he is a director that is very inconsistent, and I know that a lot of people just don't like him, and I totally get it, but there is like a mode that he sometimes operates in that just really hits a sweet spot for me, and he, yeah, he can be very cheesy, he can be very schlocky, but sometimes I'm just in the mood for that, like, I, I really enjoy 2012. It's a big schlocky disaster movie, but I love those types of films. And, you know, I, I'm not expecting a lot from Midway. I'm hopeful that it can just be a good action movie, but he's very inconsistent. I, I will certainly grant you that. I mean, Independence Day Resurgence was one of the worst movies I saw in 2016. It, it was bad, but I have to tell, but I also have to tell you, I have not laughed more during a movie than watching that film with friends. <laughs> Uh, what, a, I mean, I didn't like White House Down. I didn't like Stonewall. I oh, didn't. Well, Stonewall is awful. Yeah. I tell you that. That movie is oh. garbage. What about Anonymous? I mean, Anonymous, like, yeah, Anonymous yeah. to me is not great, but it's also, like, soap opery Shakespeare stuff, and that's kind of fun to watch, too. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not a, a great prestige movie at all, but it's kind of cheesy fun. I don't know, man. It, like... This is a guy who I look at this trailer, I look at his filmography and everything that he's given us this entire time, and I just don't really have the confidence that this movie can do anything better than, say, over 70% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. I think that's generous. That would be yeah. a miracle if it got better. Yeah. I think we're looking at like 40 some. Yeah, it it Probably. strikes me. It strikes me as the most unnecessary movie of the year. I, I went, I went back as soon as I saw this trailer. I went back to look at the trailer for the 1976 one with uh, Charlton Heston and Henry Fonda in Sense Around, and it looks like the exact same movie. Hmm. But it, but it's not being billed as a remake. Uh, well, how I mean, different can it be? I mean, it looks like another you know dad movie coming out and. I'm not expecting much from it. I, I don't think that you are unreasonable to think that this is going to be a terrible movie. It probably will be. But, you know, I, I just I walk into a Roland Emmerich movie not really expecting something of high class or anything, but hopefully to be slightly entertained. And that's about as much as I can hope for from Midway. I mean, I don't know. Did Aaron Eckhart like learn his lesson with Battle Los Angeles in terms of like war films? I, I mean, you know, I, I don't know, man. Like Luke Evans is an actor that I constantly want to like, but he keeps making bad decisions in terms of the projects that he picks. Patrick Wilson has one of the most inconsistent film careers of anyone that I know. <laughs> 
He's a good actor, though, when he is given good material. I, I agree. It's just that, once again, it's like the types of projects that these guys choose. It's like, it's just confusing. And Ed Screen, okay, this 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 guy. I, I don't know. I think he is such a good antagonist uh, for a, any story because he just looks like someone you want to punch in the face. Yes. Yeah. But in a lead role like this, I, 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 I don't know. I just think he's being like horribly miscast, or maybe it's just he's just trying something new. I don't know. But well, <laughs> the character's name, by the way, by the way, is Lieutenant Dick Best. <laughs> oh boy. Well, it is directed by Roland Emmerich. <laughs> it's true. The jokes write themselves. I mean, that's the guy's name. That's not a name that he made up. No. That's oh, it isn't? Person. Oh, okay. Now I feel bad. All right. Yeah, it is. He was the commander in the Navy during the Battle of Midway. Okay, Mike. Look at you, Matt, insulting our veterans. <laughs> <laughs> and that was everything, too. Like, when the trailer was like, this Veterans Day weekend, I was like, oh, yeah, dad movie galore. <laughs> and it's a week <laughs> before Ford v. Ferrari, so I think they're all saving their shekels for that. Oh, geez. Yeah. Well, they're going to face some competition there, I guess, then, in that instance. Um... I, I got to admit that the trailer does a really good job in terms of how it's cut with the sound and everything and kind of giving you like that adrenaline pumping feel of, you know, macho war. Here we go. America. Hoorah. Um, but the visual effects really, really took me out of it a lot. Um, if there's one good thing I could say about Pearl Harbor and I can't really say much good things about Pearl Harbor, that 45 minute attack sequence was part of the reason why it's so amazing is because how much of it was done practically. And it just looks incredible. Where this, it, it looks like they're relying way too heavily on the CGI here. But maybe that's what they need to do in order to differentiate it, right? You know, we're going to see a headline tomorrow that says, Negley insults veteran, praises Pearl Harbor. <laughs> hey, everyone. I'm Jason. And I'm Lee. And we are the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. We look to take a magnifying glass to the films you love with a warm atmosphere and a good laugh. New releases, retrospectives, and absolute classics all reassessed and reviewed. Check out the ASC Podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes, or keep in the loop on Twitter by following me, at film underscore faculty, or Lee, at Big Pick Reviews. That counts as a promo, right? Right. All right, cool. All right, well, I guess we'll cut here. See you later. <laughs> Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. Okay, so I know we're late with this. I apologize deeply. I really, really do. We gave our winners of the retrospective 2015 MVP Film Awards, and we had our choices put out there for the world. The community has their awards for this year, and... Because of the film festivals and everything else going on, we didn't really get a chance to actually reveal those to everyone. So now we are finally going to do it. I want to just personally say thank you to the community for casting their votes and putting in uh, the work here. I mean, you guys did an amazing job not only picking the nominees, but uh, from what I've quick glanced here, some of the winners too. And I mean... This has been a really, really tremendously fun exercise, one that I can't wait to do again next year for 2014, and I look forward to doing it uh, year after year. I mean, we, we've had conversations internally here at MVP with each other about, oh my God, I can't wait to go back to like 2013 and, you know, review shit, I don't know, like Inside Lewin Davis, wh whatever, you know, like it's kind of stuff that like we're like genuinely excited about now, and 2014 is definitely looking like it's going to be a lot of fun as well to revisit uh, some of these classics, so... Starting at the bottom, now we're here. Best Overlooked Film. 
The nominees were Beast of No Nation, The Diary of a Teenage Girl, The End of the Tour, Love and Mercy, Tangerine. What do you guys think they picked? I'm going to say Love and Mercy. I'm going to say Tangerine. Tangerine. Yeah, I think Tangerine. Runner-up is Beasts of No Nation. And the winner is Sean Baker's film, Tangerine. Nice. Love that movie. Very good. It was actually, it was pretty close. Very, very close there. It was not a, uh, definitely not a, you know, huge spread at all. So good job, everyone. Uh, Tangerine is a hell of a film. Uh, Best sci-fi horror film. Uh, Nominees are Crimson Peak, Ex Machina, The Martian, It Follows, and Star Wars, The Force Awakens. What did the community pick? Feels like the easy answer would be Star Wars. The runner-up is Star Wars The Force Awakens. The winner is Ex Machina. That makes sense. Very very proud of the community. With more than 50% of the vote, too. We've got smart listeners. (laughs) You know, I've actually kind of noticed that Star Wars seems to have cooled a bit on the internet lately. It doesn't really seem like it's the runaway favorite in a lot of categories that it used to be. And I think that... Just like how people have retroactively kind of cooled off on the entire series of Game of Thrones after its finale, I feel the same way with Star Wars and its fandom after the release of The Last Jedi. Yeah. Which makes me actually really scared for Rise of Skywalker in terms of, A, how it's going to be received, and B, uh, just, like, the overall box office performance, uh, how critics are going to view it. Like, there's a lot of question marks, I feel. I don't think it's a slam dunk that that movie's going to be a runaway success. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Especially if expectations are too high and it can't be met. Uh, so I don't know. We'll see what happens there. But you're right, Josh. It's, it is interesting to see the overall reaction to that fandom. Best comedy film. Nominees were The Big Short, Dope, Inside Out, Spy, and Trainwreck. I think Inside Out. Yeah, probably. I think it's the best of five. The runner-up is Spy. And the winner is Inside Out. And I want to just say for the record, good on you all for voting for Spy as much as you did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, that would have been my pick because I love that movie. So I'm glad it got some support. Uh, best action film. Nominees are Ant-Man, Furious 7, Mad Max Fury Road, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, and Sicario. Um, so what came in second? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what came in second? Indeed. We have a tie for the runner up position. Oh. The tie for the runner-up position to the obvious winner, Mad Max Fury Road, yeah, <laughs> is Mission Impossible Rogue Nation and Sicario. Oh. Mm. Okay. <laughs> I know you're not a big Sicario fan, right? No, I'm not. Yeah. But, you know, Mission Impossible, I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> Best visual effects nominees are Ex Machina, Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, and Star Wars The Force Awakens. This is a tough one. It's still it's yeah. still a tough one to this day. <laughs> I am going to say Mad Max, but not confident because this is a tough category. There's a lot of good options here. Boy, when I think of special effects, I think of Ex Machina. So I think I'm going to go with that one. The runner-up is Star Wars The Force Awakens. <laughs> and the winner is Mad Max Fury Road. Good. Great. Ex Machina came close. Very, very close to that runner-up position. A difference of... <laughs> a difference of one vote. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. 
man, this this group will always be the most like fascinating selection of nominees. Alrighty, best sound mixing. Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, Straight Outta Compton, and Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Feels like another one where we should be asking what was the runner up. <laughs> I, I think you, I think we might be asking that a lot. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I think so. <laughs> uh, well, I, uh, well, I can't actually say because I know I'm looking at it right now, so I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> I'll say Star Wars was the runner up. Yeah. My heart was whipped straight out of Compton on this, but uh, the runner up is Star Wars: The Force Awakens. The winner is Mad Max: Fury Road. Makes sense. Yep. All right. Best sound editing: Mad Max: Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, Sicario, and Star Wars: The Force Awakens. I'll say the same thing. I, and I won't bore you all. It is the same thing. Runner-up: Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Winner: Mad Max: Fury Road. And somebody check on Michael. Make sure we haven't bored him with all these Mad Max wins. <laughs> no, I, I love Mad Max. I, I give it a ton of wins that year. Good for our community. Best original song: Earned It from Fifty Shades of Grey. See You Again from Furious 7. Till It Happens to You, The Hunting Ground. One Kind of Love from Love and Mercy. And Simple Song number three from Youth. Little Monsters better come out. (laughs) Yeah, it kind of seems like that would be the one to win. Okay. Runner up. Till It Happens to You from The Hunting Ground. Mm. And the winner is See You Again from (laughs) Furious 7. Which... I still maintain should have won the Oscar. I mean, why, why not? Why not give the Fast and Furious franchise, you know, one Oscar? I have yet to see any of those movies. <laughs> Same. <laughs> I, I, not a single one. Haven't seen a single one of those films. Remember when Vin Diesel said in an interview that Furious 7 should be nominated for Best Picture? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Vin. It's about family. <laughs> it's, about, it's about something important. <laughs> You can enjoy Coronas while watching it. (laughs) (laughs) Best original score. Holy hell was this competitive. Oh, my God. Mm. Okay. Nominees are Carol, The Hateful Eight, Inside Out, Mad Max Fury Road, Sicario, and Star Wars The Force Awakens. Man, that is tough. Really tough. So many different kinds of scores. Yeah, I really wouldn't be shocked with any of them winning, honestly. (laughs) The runner-up is the Oscar winner, Ennio Morricone, for The Hateful Eight. The winner is Carter Burwell for Carol. Wow. Hell, yeah. Nice. I love the Mad Max Fury Road score. I listen to it constantly, but I think Carter Burwell's work on Carol might be the best of his career. I'm, I am so in love with that score. You have no idea. That just shows you the strength of that category of how many great scores there were. Yeah. Mm. Best production design. Carol, Ex Machina, Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, and Star Wars The Force Awakens. I mean, I think we all know what won. <laughs> well, the runner-up is Ex Machina. Mm. Nice. And the winner is Mad Max Fury Road, but... They like that house. There's some great production design in that movie. Very underrated. Best makeup and hairstyling. Carol, Crimson Peak, The Hateful Eight, Mad Max Fury Road, The Revenant, and Star Wars The Force Awakens. Hmm. I'm trying to think who might have been the runner-up here. (laughs) I love that it's like we we don't even need to debate what the winner is. It's like... (laughs) I mean, it's so obvious. It's such a runner. Yeah, it, it is. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you this much. 
it surprised me before with our own awards because it beat Mad Max Fury Road. And here it was the runner up. The runner up is Carol. It's good hair. <laughs> I, I I still find it kind of amazing because I still think the makeup work on Leo and uh, Revenant is still pretty amazing. Uh, but I guess there just isn't like enough passion behind that movie to carry it oh, over, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's good makeup, but I do think that it it just sort of is like makeup that's just kind of there. It's impressive, but I think especially if you compare it to something like Mad Max, which is not only great makeup, but it's also like world building and character design. There's kind of a little bit more going on there from a story perspective, I think. Yeah, yeah. Michael, you voted for the Carol, didn't you? Guilty. I knew it. <laughs> Best film editing, The Big Short, Mad Max Fury Road, The Revenant, Sicario, and Spotlight. The runner-up is... Screw the haters. The runner-up is The Big Short, and the winner is Mad Max Fury Road with an overwhelming 70% of the vote. Yeah. <laughs> That's almost a situation where it didn't really matter who the runner-up was. <laughs> Best costume design. Brooklyn... Carol, Cinderella, Mad Max Fury Road, The Revenant, and Star Wars The Force Awakens. Now, in our awards, didn't uh, Carol win this over Mad Max? I thought it was makeup. I thought Carol won costumes from us. Oh, oh okay. I, I got it mixed up then. Carol was the runner-up in makeup, and that still confused me. <laughs> yeah. But it okay. won that's costumes over Mad Max, and that's where it did beat it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah, I think the community might go the other way, though. Let's see. Josh, you are correct. The community did go that way. Runner-up, Carol. Winner, Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, those are like the strong number one, number two in that category for me. Although, shout out to Nicole Ackman. I know she's rooting for Cinderella. Don't worry, we'll get there someday, (laughs) Nicole. (laughs) Best cinematography. Hold on to your butts. Carol, The Hateful Eight, Mad Max Fury Road, The Revenant, or Sicario? Well, I feel like this is probably going to be either Mad Max or The Revenant. Michael? Mad Max. The winner is Mad Max Fury Road. Okay. And the runner-up is The Revenant. That's how it should have been. Best documentary film. Amy, Cartel Land, The Hunting Ground, The Look of Silence, and What Happened, Miss Simone. I would love for The Look of Silence, but I have a feeling it'll be Amy. The winner is Amy. Mm-hmm. The runner-up by one vote is The Hunting Ground. By one vote, wow. All right, best foreign language film, now known as best international film. Embrace the Serpent, Goodnight Mommy, Mustang, Son of Saul, and A War. Gonna go with the Oscar winner. Yeah, I think that's a safe safe choice. Yeah, I think the one up might actually be Goodnight Mommy, I feel like. Well, close, but not really. Uh, Winner is Son of Saul, runner-up, Mustang, which if anyone here has not seen that, is phenomenal. Oh, it's yes, so good. good. Mm-hmm. Mustang is so good. I didn't like it the first time I saw it. And I did a review uh, with the Incession film guys, JD and Brendan, and they were so positive on it that it made me actually go back and rewatch it. And I went in with like kind of new context and I was like, oh, no, this is really good. Shit. <laughs> yeah, it was on my top 10 that year. I, I love that movie. Best animated film. Nominees are Adam Elisa. Inside Out, The Peanuts Movie, Shaun the Sheep Movie, and When Marnie Was There. Well, let's just send congratulations to Inside Out right now. <laughs> congratulations, Inside Out, with 75% of the vote. The runner-up 
Anomalisa. Anomalisa. I'll get it's it right. Anomalisa. I will get it right someday, I promise. I mean, it's, it's the last podcast of 2015. You don't need to worry about it anymore. <laughs> Did Anomalisa win the BAFTA? Shut up, Michael. <laughs> Best Adapted Screenplay. Nominees are Brooklyn, Carol, The Martian, Room, and Steve Jobs. Hmm. This is tough, actually. I'm not sure where this will go. The runner-up is Steve Jobs. And the winner is Carol. Great. Nice. Good, good, good. Best original screenplay. Nominees are Ex Machina, Inside Out, Sicario, Spotlight, and Straight Outta Compton. I think there's going to be a lot of love for Ex Machina here. By one vote difference, runner-up and winner. The winner is Ex Machina, and the runner-up is Inside Out. Mm. Wow. By one vote, you said. By one vote. Wow. Pretty crazy. Best Debut Director, Joel Egerton for The Gift, Alex Garland, Ex Machina, Marielle Heller for The Diary of a Teenage Girl, Josh Mond for James White, and Laszlo Neems for Son of Saul. I think it's Alex Garland with Marielle Heller as runner-up. That sounds about right. <laughs> runner-up is Laszlo Neems for Son of Saul. Oh, that also makes sense. Pretty impressive. Winner is Alex Garland for Ex Machina. Uh, Marielle Heller was really close. Difference of two votes. Mm. Best Director. Lenny Abramson for Room, Alejandro Gonzalez and Yari 2 for The Revenant, Todd Haynes for Carol, Tom McCarthy for Spotlight, and George Miller for Mad Max Fury Road. All right, so again, uh, who do we think is the runner-up? <laughs> Why couldn't the Academy be this, like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, it's so clear. Why in God's yeah. name would you go the other way? Because <laughs> it's the Academy. <laughs> and even then, I feel like the runner-up might be Todd Haynes. That would be great. The runner-up, unfortunately, is Alejandro Gonzalez Inyari 2 for The Revenant. And the winner is George Miller for Mad Max Fury Road. Well, they at least picked the right winner. I agree. Best breakout performance of 2015. Abraham Atta for Beast of No Nation. O'Shea Jackson Jr., straight out of Compton. Jason Mitchell, straight out of Compton. Daisy Ridley for Star Wars The Force Awakens. Jacob Tremblay for Room. And Alicia Vikander for Ex Machina. Who is the best breakout performance? Vikander. Mm, I'm going to say Tremblay. Well, between Jacob Tremblay and Alicia Vikander, Alicia Vikander is the winner with Jacob Tremblay as the runner-up. Figured it would be between those two. Yeah. It's pretty amazing that Jacob Tremblay almost won all of our awards for every category he was nominated in. (laughs) (laughs) It was pretty crazy. I was like thinking about this the other day, and I'm like... He was nominated, what, in three different uh, categories, Youth Performance, Breakout, and Actor, and he won two and was the runner-up for Best Actor. I, it, like, just yeah. insane. Uh, best voiceover performance. Jennifer Jason Lee for Anomalisa. Yeah. Yeah, see? <laughs> yeah, you got it. Richard Kind for Inside Out. Amy Poehler for Inside Out. Phyllis Smith, Inside Out. And David Thewlis for Anomalisa. I would love it for it to be Phyllis Smith, but I think it's going to be Amy Poehler. Runner-up, Phyllis Smith, Inside Out. Winner, Amy Poehler, Inside Out. Best Youth Performance. 
Jacob Tremblay, Jacob Tremblay, Jacob Tremblay, Jacob Tremblay. <laughs> Abraham Atta for Beast of No Nation, Olivia Cook, Me Earl and the Dying Girl, RJ Seiler for Me Earl and the Dying Girl, Shamik Moore for Dope, and Jacob Tremblay, Jacob Tremblay, Jacob Tremblay for Room. <laughs> 76% of the vote, Jacob Tremblay. Winner. Who is the runner up? I'm going to say Abraham Atta. Bingo! Abraham Atta, Beast of No Nation, runner up. Best Supporting Actress, Rose Byrne for Spy. Jennifer Jason Leigh for Hateful Eight, Rachel McAdams for Spotlight, Tessa Thompson for Creed, Alicia Vikander for Ex Machina, and Kate Winslet for Steve Jobs. God, I'd love that Rose Byrne nomination. Oh. Yeah, I, I, I give a tremendous amount of credit to the community for the spy love. <laughs> I love it. In the runner-up position, we have a tie. The tie is between Jennifer Jason Leigh for The Hateful Eight and Kate Winslet for Steve Jobs. The winner... Alicia Vikander for Ex Machina. Sounds about right. Honestly, what she should have won the Oscar for. Yes. Danish Girl is the lead performance. Mm-hmm. Best Supporting Actor. Huge category. Big, big tie. We had seven nominees here. Benicio Del Toro for Sicario. Idris Elba, Beast of No Nation. Tom Hardy for The Revenant. Oscar Isaac, Ex Machina. Mark Ruffalo, Spotlight. Mark Rylance, Bridge of Spies. Sylvester Stallone, Creed. And this was also by far the most competitive category. Wow. Mm, gonna say Stallone probably took it. Runner up, Sylvester Stallone for Creed. Mm. Predicted winner, Michael? Rylance. What world are you living in? <laughs> Mark <laughs> Rylance got the least amount of votes. Winner is winner is Oscar Isaac for Ex Machina. Okay, there we go. That sounds right. For the dance alone. Best actress. Kate Blanchett for Carol, Brie Larson for Room, Rooney Mara for Carol, Saoirse Ronan for Brooklyn, and Charlize Theron for Mad Max Fury Road. Charlize. I'm going to say Kate. Okay, the runner-up is Kate Blanchett for Carol. And the winner is Brie Larson for Room. Hey. Sorry, <laughs> Saoirse Ronan. Charlize didn't even factor into that. Nope, not at all. Wow. Least amount of votes. Surprises me. Which I, I I was pretty astounded by, but I guess the Carol love, the Brooklyn love, you know, it makes sense. Best actor, Matt Damon in The Martian, Leonardo DiCaprio for The Revenant, Michael Fassbender, Steve Jobs, Michael B. Jordan, Creed, Jacob Tremblay, Room. I would hope for Fassbender. But? Yeah, it's probably Leo. <laughs> Difference of eight votes. Runner-up, Leonardo DiCaprio for The Revenant. Mm. Winner, Michael Fassbender, Steve Jobs. To me, the clear best of that category. So good on you, uh, readers. Did it? Did it, anyone else here like kind of feel that way in 2015 at the time? Like, like yeah, Leo's got the narrative and he's probably going to win, but damn, it should really go to Fassbender. Or, or, or do some of you like not care about the performance of the movie? Like, I wasn't really that big on Fassbender and Steve Jobs. So I was fine with Leo sweeping the season. I was I was slightly higher on Kate uh, in um, Kate Winslet in uh, Steve Jobs. I thought she was one of her best performances. Won the uh, BAFTA and the Golden Globe. Yeah, she yeah. to me she should have won the Oscar. And for Fassbender, I, I, to me he is the best in that category. But I also find the Best Actor field that year to be kind of weak. So it's like I would give him the victory, but it's not by like a great margin from his other nominees. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm with you on that. Honestly, my favorite of the nominees that here was Brian Cranston. The only one. <laughs> I've seriously never heard anyone else ever say that other than you, Michael. <laughs> my overall favorite that year was Tom Hanks and Bridges Spies, and he wasn't even nominated. So yeah. of the five nominees, oh, yeah. it was Cranston. Yeah, the one that I would have picked wasn't nominated either. Like my best actor winner was Jason Siegel for the end of the tour. Yeah, that's up there for me, too. Yeah. Uh, I voted for him uh, to get in, and uh, I was really, really sad that he didn't. But hey, at least that film made it into our lineup for Overlook Film, so I was happy about that. Yeah, yeah quite yeah. fitting. Best Ensemble, <laughs> The Big Short, The Hateful Eight, Spotlight, Steve Jobs, and Straight Outta Compton. I think Spotlight won. If there's any award that is going to go to Spotlight, it should be this one, and it was this one. Spotlight is the winner. The runner-up is... The Big Short. It is, it is an ensemble. By, by one vote, too, actually. <laughs> wow. wow. Didn't think it would be that close. Yeah, you know what? I don't mind saying what it was. Just for you, Josh, the uh, third place film uh, that just missed the runner-up position was The Hateful Eight. Well, thank you for telling me. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> I might be the only person who appreciated it. <laughs> Alrighty, and now for Best Picture, nominees are Brooklyn, Carol, Creed, Ex Machina, Inside Out, Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, Room, and Spotlight. So what's the water up? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, so the winner, uh, definitely, as you all obviously have probably guessed, Mad Max Fury Road. The runner-up is... Carol. Wow. I was going to say Ex Machina. Yeah. Based on how the other wins and runner-ups have been going, yeah. Ex Machina was not the third place uh, either. That's really fascinating because that's sort of how like our awards went, where we gave Ex Machina a bunch of wins too, but it did not place within the top um, rankings of our Best Picture lineup. I find that so fascinating. Yeah, me too. I think it's sometimes it's just the way the fields specifically like work themselves out. And, you know, a lot of us are, con- are conscious of, you know, not doing a uh, down the line voting. And we look at each field on its own merit. And I, I, I guess it just so happens, you know, with Ex Machina, it's strong in certain areas. And you also got to remember, too, like we gave it wins and things like debut director and like there's no Oscar category for that. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, supporting actor and original screenplay, those are biggies. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And, I mean, yeah. I, 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 hey, listen, I don't know. I can't really explain I, it. You know, I'm not even saying, like, it's a bad thing. I just find that to be very interesting that a movie that can perform so well for both us and the community doesn't really come anywhere close to actually winning Best Picture when, you know, not knowing the results. Normally, we would say, like, if that happened at the Oscars, we would say, oh, yeah, that movie had to have been in, like, the top two or three movies to contend. So I just find it to be interesting, that's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally understand that. I, I think it's really interesting that uh, Mad Max Fury Road lost uh, two awards here uh, versus the one loss uh, with us. You know, I mean, Charlize, I didn't really expect to win at all, um, in that category at least. But genuinely still surprised about that original score pick. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm not, I'm not upset at all. <laughs> yeah. If anything would beat Mad Max Fury Road in that category, I'm so, so happy it's Carol. So, yeah, but that's also because I'm not the biggest fan of that hateful eight score, but that's just made up. I know there are plenty of fans out there. So, okay. Uh, that'll put a wrap on 2015. Uh, finally, 
<laughs> we just did another podcast review of a 2015 film, The Martian. And so if you guys are interested, you can check out that and all of our other retrospective podcasts we uh, we did for that year. As we as I said before, it was a tremendous amount of fun. I hope you guys had fun with it as well. Uh, we can't wait to go and do 2014 uh, during the off season next year. Really, really looking forward to it. And I'll definitely uh, let you all know when we have some more updates on that. Hello, everyone. This is Ryan L. Terry, screenwriting lecturer film critic, and yeah, even figure skater. Known by my monikers Podstitute and Podhopper, you may have heard me on some of your favorite shows such as Mike, Mike, and Oscar, One Movie Punch, In Session Film, Blockbuster Mentality, Movie Geek and Proud, Just So You Know, and more. And I would love to sit down with you on your show. Whether we are talking about my area of expertise, the American horror film, chatting about what we are watching on TV, or diving deep into a classic or underrated film, I would love to make time for you. You can follow me on Twitter at RLTerry1 and on my blog at RLTerryRealView.com. That's real with two E's. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to connecting with you soon. Let's bring it home uh, with some quick questions and answers. Uh, things that we didn't go over in this pod that people are asking. So, Daniel B. asks us, what will be this year's If Beale Street Could Talk? Critically beloved film that somehow just misses the mark with the industry. If I had to guess right now, I'd probably say Queen and Slim. Yeah, yeah. Like, more, like under five nominations but, and like could have done better. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a difficult question because there's so many different avenues for that to go in and I guess we kind of talked about it a little bit, but I feel like Knives Out could be that, where obviously the reviews will be really for it, but maybe for one reason or another, it just doesn't really land with the industry. I think there's a lot of films that could potentially go this way right now. Like Ford v. Ferrari is one that comes to mind. Oh, I think that's going to be big. I just saw that new trailer today, and it really establishes a different type of tone and makes it look like a huge you know, industry crowd pleaser and overall audience crowd pleaser. So I think that's in a very And it spot. definitely is. And I definitely think that the box office will be there for that film where it wasn't for something like First Man. But there's still a part of me that thinks that it could go the way of missing out on screenplay, acting. James Mangold may not make it into director. It could get into picture, sure. So we're talking where it could miss even if it does get in picture? Uh, I, I think the question is more pertaining to like what should have been in best picture based on precursors, but like it, it missed, you know, or or just uh, not even precursors, but more critical, critical love. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, two popes, probably a good choice. See, I think two popes is going to I think two popes is actually going to do very well this award season. Well, that's the idea. That's what I mean. It's going to do well. But for some reason, I, I can't help but still feel like it may only get one or two nominations on nomination morning. You know what I mean? I can see that, yeah. You know what, Matt? I I thought of something, and it kind of breaks my heart, and I hate to say this, especially for you, but I have this feeling that Waves is not going to be the big contender that we think it is. I I just have this feeling like there's going to be some more dissenting opinions about that movie that are going to come out in the weeks leading up to the release, and it will not land in the way for the industry that we are all expecting it to. I could see that. Even my acknowledgement of that fervors that narrative, I hate to say, but I, I'm being <laughs> I'm being honest here. I, I, I could see that happening. Shit. Because it did it did get really great reviews, but then soon afterwards I started to hear like some rumblings kind of of a backlash a little bit of being like I mean like people saying it's good, but it may not be as good as some other people are saying it. And I think that 
it might be a little bit more divisive than we initially thought it was. And it does seem like something that maybe at the end of the day, maybe Sterling K. Brown gets in, maybe a tech here or there, but it will underwhelm. I kind of am getting a feeling about that movie. Carson Timmer asks, going into this award season, which Oscar category are you most looking forward to seeing play out? I just want uh, variety in acting categories, like across the precursors. Like it gets so boring when the same person wins everything. So I'd like, particularly maybe something like supporting actor, getting some nice variety. I think that'd be fun. And like we said, like there's like 10 people that we could put into that category. So I think that could be interesting. Yeah, it would be really frustrating if like the category is so fluid right now with so many different contenders, then out of nowhere, the industry just decides to give it to one person. They sweep the entire uh, season, kind of like what Mahershala Ali did. I was about to say, yeah. like like last year. <laughs> yeah, we, we all thought that category was so open and that all the major rewards were going to split to different contenders, and it didn't. And it made that race so boring. <laughs> yeah. Supporting actor is a category that I always love filling out on my own personal ballot, but kind of dread it whenever it happens at the Oscars because I am hardly ever impressed with their picks. So I would love to say supporting actor, but they, the Academy never has a great history with that category. So I am not really confident they're going to do great with their selections. I'm actually really interested in supporting actors, to be honest, because as we've said, Dern and Benning are kind of the top two contenders, but it's really kind of, as we have said, very open after that. So I'm really interested to see what other contenders will come in to that category. Octavia Spencer for loose people. Bring her back. (laughs) I would love it, but it's it's getting tough. The category I'm looking forward to the most this year is Best Makeup and Hairstyling because five nominees. Yeah. I, I, I just can't wait to see what makes it now, you know, like, and, and then I'll start playing based on based on this year's nominations, what the five are, I might be able to fill in some gaps with previous years of, okay, based on like what got nominated here, does that mean they would have gone for more of these types of contenders or more of these types of contenders, you know, any year or five. So it'll be kind of interesting to see how that plays out. Because that category is so sporadic and all over the place. It's, re- it's, it's insane. <laughs> That branch is, they always go ahead and do their own thing. All righty. This one's from Luca uh, Gilberti. In light of Harriet, why do we have so many movies based on true stories or biopics that end up being either basic or generic? Because a lot of times people think that the story itself is enough to anchor the whole movie, that they usually forego creative choices and, you know, decisions here and there. They just try to have the story speak for itself. And sometimes that works. Other times it just sort of falls flat. Yeah, I I definitely think that there is a lack of sometimes character work uh, that goes into really getting behind a performance. And you're right, Michael. I think it rests on the laurels of uh, the bullet points of somebody's uh, life story. And they then try to, you know, structure that into a screenplay. And there is a formula to it. And it, it just gets kind of predictable, you know, after a while and kind of boring. It's how I feel about Judy to a certain extent. Like, I think the movie is predictable and okay. But, I mean, she, of course, is amazing. And how many movies, you know, can we describe that follow that exact same formula, especially when it comes to awards uh, Bates projects with a central lead performance? You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. the ones that usually are the ones, that, the ones that usually break through are the ones that have typically a stronger emphasis on character and the technicals are pretty great across the board. Uh, I think, uh, I think Lincoln 
or Darkest Hour, you know? Well, those are also movies that find a way to play around with their formulas, where they're not talking about an entire life of a person. They're focusing on one particular moment that they're dealing with, and they kind of use it as a jumping off point to talk about more about that person's life. Yeah, Selma should have been that. <sighs> to this day, that still upsets me. Uh, what else we got here? Oh, sticking with uh, kind of a best actor conversation here. Brock Masters 24 asks, with this year's best actor race being so great, I think we forget about Taron Egerton's performance in Rocket Man. The Academy loved Bohemian Rhapsody. Does he get a nom, or is he the odd man out in this race? Absolutely not. That movie did not really make any sort of mark. Where Bohemian Rhapsody was pushing a billion dollars worldwide, this did not even crack 200 million. It's going to take the critics to really come back for that movie. I'm and they're not, not going to care. I mean, it depends. I, I just don't know. It it really will just... I, I have to see how the rest of the race is going to shake out. It All I know is that to remember that at the end of the year. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah, I think there are too many other contenders the critics will want to get behind. Yeah, they better be smart and campaign in musical or comedy for Globes. I think that's their best bet. Agreed. Logan Van Winkle asks, am I crazy for seeing Queen and Slim as a contender? I feel like a lot of people have forgotten that it exists due to not premiering at any of the festivals in the past couple of weeks, but I still have a great feeling about it. Well, Logan, it is premiering at AFI. Uh, last year's premieres at AFI were um, Mary Queen of Scots and On the Basis of Sex. And On the Basis of Sex was a non-starter. Mary Queen of Scots came close to getting some uh, pretty major nominations, potentially for uh, Margot Robbie in that case. Um, I, I just heard some things about the screenplay, and I, I'm not I'm not sure what to take with that necessarily. I don't know if it's... I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. I, and to tell you the truth, I haven't really even given it that much thought, to tell you the truth. Maybe because I have been getting caught up with the other contenders right now. But w- what do you guys think? Yeah, I kind of feel the same way of like, I've been, especially since TIFF, and like, I feel like not as many, we've had more positives than negatives. And I feel like I'm, I'm struggling to even fit all of them into categories, let alone movies that haven't even come out yet. And I feel like I should, you know, I end up prioritizing something like The Irishman, if I'm going to pick something that hasn't premiered. So it's like, you know, we're in that difficult spot, but I, I want it to be good and I want it to do well. So there's that. Speaking of the Irishman, uh, Michelle Fowles asks, how many nominations do you think the Irishman could get if it delivers the goods? I think the Irishman could totally clean up. I think we're talking, you know, maxing out with 13, 14 nominations. Oh, I, I definitely think 100% the Irishman is going to be the top um, the top in nominations on, on that yeah, Let's break it down. Mm. You have Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, two for Supporting Actor, potentially, Screenplay, Cinematography, Editing, Production Design, Costume Design, Makeup, Visual Effects, Sound Editing, Sound Mixing. That's 14 right there. See, I'm actually on a little bit of an opposite end with the Irishman right now. I think it'll do well, but I get this feeling like it might be a movie that people respect, but don't really love a whole lot. So like in my predictions, I have it on the outside of a lot of categories, like still in play, but I don't know if it's going to land quite with the thud or, you know, quite with the bang that we think that it's going to. How much with beta breath are you guys going to be refreshing your Twitter pages to see my reaction to it in 12 days? (laughs) 
<laughs> That's going to be a night. Very long night, apparently. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Michael, Michael, let me be clear. We're seeing it in the morning. Well, that's good. Uh, well however long. When, from the time you tell me you're going into the time we get to your reaction, it'll be well over. <laughs> Yeah, we're seeing it uh, early in the morning. Uh, re- early reactions should be out by the afternoon. And then, yeah, it's having its uh, premiere at NYFF for the general public in the evening. And uh, I wish I could join you. I mean, boy, dude, boy. I looked at the ticket prices for that. They they added, when tickets went on sale for NYFF, they added so many screenings for that movie. And I was like, oh, for sure, there's got to be something that's going to be available. And I was clicking around. I couldn't find a single one that was available. But they were adding showings. Get this. At 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock. Jeez, at midnight for a three and a half hour movie. And they just had it playing nonstop. And they were all sold out. It's a big deal. Ridiculous. You this Chris says he... Yeah. I just couldn't believe that, like, the midnight screening. I'm like, three and a half hours at midnight. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, still sold out. Amazing. All righty. Uh, Scott Kernan. Which film do you think stands a better chance at Oscars, Little Women or 1917, as both of the films seem to be skipping the film festivals and could be the two late-breaking contenders of the year? Both. I think both will do very well. There's always a late-breaking contender every year. I think that Little Women has better shot in acting than 1917 but i think that 1917 probably has better in the tech and like below the lines yeah i can i can see 1917 cleaning up down there uh but remains to be seen in terms of acting whereas i think um little women it has, has at least a couple of nominations that it could store score in. isaiah washington asks can this be a year where a movie gets nominated in all four acting categories could with marriage story i'm yeah. starting to believe that it won't it all depends on how that race shakes out. Alan Alda is probably the key factor right there. Yes. I mean, it could happen. Yeah. It's very much in the running. I know. I'm in agreement with that. I think if there's a weak link there, it's Alan Alda. But based on the movie and the performance, I, I think he's good enough to get it in for a nomination. I really do. But so many things need to happen because he's not what I would consider a lock in that category. I don't consider anyone to be a lock in that category right now. Yeah, Maybe if honestly. like Brad Pitt and Jamie Foxx fall out, you could see him come in. Yeah, there are a few things that need to happen. That's right. Uh, it, while it's not four, I do think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood gets in for three. I don't see the Margot Robbie thing happening. I think that could very, very well happen. It depends on the depth of love for the film. She could be swept in. I, I, I agree with that, but I'm also wondering, too, if she'll have more buzz for Bombshell, if that turns out to be good. I think they're going to want to get behind the contender. And, you know, the way that we see it, once been in time in Hollywood, is a huge contender in this race. So I, 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 I agree with that. I want to push their efforts behind her. And she's really the heart and soul of that movie. Yeah, I went back when I redid my predictions and I included Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in more categories for now based on the momentum the box office, the buzz, uh, industry reactions. You know, early on I was being conservative. I think I had it predicted for like five or six nominations, but uh, I'm with I'm kind of with you a little bit more, Michael, where I've bumped that number up to around like eight now. And that's very reasonable. I think it maxes out at the end of the day on its very, very best day with ten nominations. So to have it at eight, that sounds really right. Yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to see. I, I'm I'm really really curious uh, where that goes. I mean, because it was early, right? But we'll see. All right, what do we got here? Uh, 
Hassan Kamara asks, uh, what Oscar predictions would you guys give Parasite and will you guys do an episode review of Parasite? My answer is yes, we will be doing a podcast review of Parasite. So be on the lookout for that at a later date. Oscar predictions as of now, uh, I went back to the board and I have it in for international film. I have Bong Joon-ho in director and I added it to my best picture uh, predictions. The one thing I keep going back and forth on is screenplay right now. I yeah. and I asked you guys this for input because it was between that and Farewell for me. Ooh. And I was having a lot of difficulty there of which one to put in. And I, I ended up choosing the Farewell because that seems like a very uh, perfect lone screenplay nominee that we tend to see every year, you know? So I don't know though. I'm, I'm I, I think though those categories are where it's still fighting. What, what do, you, do you guys have it predicted in anything else besides international film? Yeah, oh, I parasite in for four. I'm, yeah. I'm in for four. Four as well. Yeah, maybe I should reconsider that screenplay. Maybe I should drop something else. Screenplay is crowded. Original screenplay has a lot of contenders. So it, you know, I feel like it's up in the air with that one the most. Mm-hmm. Even though up in the air was adapted. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Last question. Uh, I think this is an interesting uh, last question to end on because, um, as you all know, uh, MoviePass is officially dead. Uh, finally, maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Might be like The Undertaker. Maybe it comes back from the dead. <laughs> but uh, it seems like we've been here before with MoviePass, right? But no, by all accounts, this is finally it for the company. And it got me thinking a little bit about um, what its impact was on the industry what its impact was on audiences. Like at the height of when MoviePass was awesome and we were all messaging each other being like, do you have MoviePass? Do you have MoviePass? You you need to get MoviePass. And we were all like using it as it was intended to be used, going to the movies to see independent films, documentary films. Like that that summer of documentaries last year with like Three Identical Strangers, uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor? I, I have to believe that the movie pass like allowed for so many people to be able to get to the theater to see those movies. You know, I have to believe that to a certain extent. There was a one year period where it seems like everyone knew what it was, but movie pass didn't just come up out of the blue in 2017. It had been around since I think 2011 and people yeah. only caught on late in the game. Yeah. I had been with them since and remained a member up until March of this year when my account was mysteriously canceled. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, at their apex, up until all the glitches and craziness of last year, I would say from 2015 through mid-2018, they were great. You were able to go to the different theaters. It let you see one movie a day, which was fine. I don't usually see one more than one movie a day, so that was great. And it just gave you flexibility to choose between what you wanted to see, where you wanted to see it. It was a very reasonable price. And now that we have AMC A-List and Regal Unlimited, it's really changed the game. So I'm always grateful to MoviePass for what they did. Not so much how they ran their operation, but, you know, what they led to in this industry. Yeah, so the question that we did receive was uh, from Wizzo at W-E-S-Z-S-S. Not exactly sure how to pronounce that other than to say Wes. I don't know. But... They're asking, what change would you like to be, uh, would you like to see being made in the movie industry? Now, this can be tied to Movie Pass if you want your answer to be tied to it. It doesn't have to be necessarily, but I thought it was a good way to kind of like just tie in the Movie Pass news here. Um, so, changes, any changes, anything right now, today that's on your mind that you would like to see change within the movie industry? Yeah, I think one thing that I would also like to see happen is I wish that the major 
theater chains would reach this more of an agreement with uh, like Netflix and the streaming places because I feel like so many of them are just stuck in this era of you need this 90 day window to release a movie in theaters before it shows up on video. And that's just not the world that we're living in anymore. And I think as Netflix gets more and more prestigious directors to work with them and are producing this great content, I really think that needs to be made more available to the major chains out there. And I I hope that in the future, those conversations get implemented more and more. Yeah. yeah, I would love to see Regal play Marriage Story for three weeks, just like they're doing now, three or four weeks, and then it leaves and you get it on Netflix. No delay period where you can't see it anywhere. I want it to just be where once the movie comes out, you can always see it. And once it's out of theaters, the second it leaves, you can watch it at home. Yeah, that, that would make sense. And and I'm hoping, I'm hopeful that with films like The Irishman and Marriage Story uh, on Netflix, that, that uh, theaters will want to play those and uh, and just get over this antiquated idea. Yeah. Do you guys prefer going to a major theater chain or do you like going to mom and pop movie theaters independently owned? Yeah, I go to more art house theaters or I have the, the film society near me. Honestly, it's more just out of like convenience. Like the only two major movie theaters, I have an AMC in North Philly and then a Regal theater that I can't even get to via public transportation. So like it just boils down to like convenience, but also, yeah, I find it cheaper and it seems like I, I feel a little better, you know, supporting that type of thing. Because I was just thinking a lot about the theatrical experience and how like AMC, Regal, they're like trying really, really hard to upgrade the seats and uh, take better care of the screens and, you know, upgrade sound systems and things of that nature that it got me to wondering, is it is it like just a perception thing that these are major corporations and when you go to an independently owned theater instead, you really do get that love for cinema, maybe a little bit more so? And that translates yeah. to your love for cinema, so there's more personal connection there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're different experiences. You know, I love going to my local Regal. I have Regal Unlimited. I like to go there and the United Artists, you know, to see a big movie, something like Ford v. Ferrari. I'll go see that in RPX. Mm-hmm. They have, like, the great sound system and a big screen. I like going to the IMAX. That's all good. But we have a wonderful art house theater here on the uh, Philadelphia Main Line that I love going to. It's like, you know very cinema friendly. They have people who really care about these art house movies, but they'll show a variety of things. Like a couple of years ago, they had everything from lady bird and call me by your name to the greatest showman. So they really try to appeal to everyone in the community. And it's just a different environment too. Like you'll be able to get popcorn at both places, but one will have a Hershey bar and the other will have a Toblerone. You know, it's very different. See, I like, I yeah. equate what happened with, Movie Pass is kind of what's happened now with Netflix, where there was a period of time where Netflix had all of these movie studios underneath their banner. And it was a place you could go to to watch a variety of content. This is like kind of before they started putting out their own original content. Universal, Warner Brothers, Disney, like they, like they had so much stuff. And, and if they didn't have it streaming, you could order a DVD to your house, right? Movie Pass was like that in the sense that I could use that thing anywhere. I could use it at Regal. I could use it at AMC. I could go to an independent art house theater. 
And it seems like now with like streaming and how we're getting Disney Plus and HBO, Warner Brothers has like something coming out as well. And like all these different streaming services now are making you pay for everything. The movie theaters are doing that as well, where like Alamo Drafthouse is working on something. Regal now has something. AMC A-List, as we talked about. And what I would like to see is instead of spreading out my bank account to pay for like multiple things... Um, is either change the distribution model so that this way movies play everywhere and I don't have to like go to a specific theater to see something that I don't happen to have a streaming, uh, no streaming, a um, subscription pass for, you know what I mean? Or somebody needs to just take the movie pass model, work out a better deal, maybe charge a little bit more, obviously. Cause I'll tell you, I mean, what I pay for a list right now, I would not mind paying a little bit more if it meant I could loop in both A-List and Regal. You know what I mean? No. Yeah, the only thing that I don't like about uh, Unlimited, and I love going to Regal. I think they're the best chain in my area by far. I know that seems to differ depending on your area. But one thing you know that I miss is going to my local independent theater and being able to use MoviePass there. When I go, I still go to the theater, obviously, but I just pay out of pocket. Yeah. And that's fine. It's reasonable. You know, they sell memberships, so it's like an $8 ticket. But, you know, it would be nice to tie in some sort of program there as well. Yeah. And, and speaking selfishly, I, I really like going to the art, supporting a local art house to say, yeah, we're on board with you. Keep going. We're rooting for you. Get some good stuff in. And I don't mind forking over my money to them. All right. Okay. Good conversation. Uh, we will be back next time, uh, next weekend. And uh, all right. Cool. NYFF starting this week. Pretty excited for that. Going to catch up on some foreign film contenders. Um, we also have the release of Ad Astra uh, coming out this week as well, along with uh, Downton Abbey. So more to come on that. Uh, definitely really, really exciting. Uh, and Emmys also, too. Creative Arts Emmys this weekend, Emmys next weekend. Uh, so definitely some really great podcast content to come. Thank you so much to the community once again for voting on the MVP Film Community Awards for 2015. And thank you so much for all the support that you helped to give to this channel. We really, really appreciate it. Here to say goodbye, I have Michael Schwartz. Where can I find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. Josh Parham. You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. Casey Lee Clark. You can find me on Twitter at Casey Lee Clark. Tom O'Brien. I'm on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 159 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. Write us a comment. Rate us five stars. We really appreciate the feedback as well as your support, which... Over at Patreon, for $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content, including an upcoming review of The King of Comedy, which we will be reviewing as a lead-in to Joker. Should be really, really fun and really exciting, with more content to come as well. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Next time.